thank you for being here, Sherry. I don't know. Do you go by Sherry or Sam? I go by Sam. Okay, Sam. Yeah, All right. So, so uh, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, this is episode one. Um, you're doing us a huge favor. We really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I yeah. appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor. <laughs> All right. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, we wanted to have you on today. Um, you know, Nick introduced me to some of the work you've been doing with microplastics and freshwater ecosystems and that kind of stuff. So we thought it'd be cool to have you on, um, especially in this day and age. You know, things like climate change, environmental issues are finally starting to gain some traction. Thank Cross God. Fingers. fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. Knock so, on wood, <laughs> so not not without their uh, not without their obstacles, but I think things are starting to starting to pick up. So we wanted to kind of have you on to talk about your work and then kind of launch into some other discussions about you know what's Whatever. going on with the environment and that sort of stuff. So cool. Thanks for being here. Or yeah. Ramadan is fine too. We <laughs> want to talk about that. <laughs> Sherry's coming off Ramadan, so. <laughs> In the midst of, yeah, one more week, 10 more days, something like that. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, This may be the most low-rent production you've ever done, but... That that sounds good. (laughs) I can handle that. All right. So so to get started, can you just talk a little bit, maybe just kind of introduce our listeners to some of the work you've been doing? I know you were one of the first people to identify plastics as a major source of pollution in the Great Lakes. In the Great Lakes, yeah. And this was recently, as I understand. Yeah. The first, our first expedition was in 2012. Um, So, um, and it started, I was, I was, um, asked in 2010 to to co-teach a course aboard a tall ship called the U.S. Brig Niagara. Its home port is Erie, Pennsylvania. It's a War of 1812 vessel, and for the listeners, basically kind of picture Pirates of the Caribbean, although we're not technically on a pirate ship. It was a naval war vessel, but (laughs) but it's a tall ship, and so if you picture those those vessels from the Pirates of the Caribbean, that's kind of what it's like. So we're on this this huge tall ship doing science, which they were not designed for, but (laughs) um, That makes it all the more fun. Um, and uh, the, the class started in 2011, and when I came on board, I was an atmospheric chemist, and without even realizing it, by the time I left that boat that year, I was a plastic pollution researcher. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you, took, you took students out on this boat? Yeah, every week, every year we take uh, 20 students from uh, regional universities. So some are from here in Fredonia, some are from Niagara University, um, Gannon. Uh, we've mm. had this year we have somebody up there from out there from Florida, which just uh, Florida State University just floored me. I'm like, how did you even hear about this? Um, but she has family up here. Um, so 20 students, we go out for three weeks on the boat nonstop. So we, we do hit ports of call, but for the whole three weeks, we're on the vessel. We're sleeping on the vessel. We're eating on the vessel. Very close quarters. Now, is this all the Great Lakes? or? So where we go changes year to year. Okay. okay. Um, but we, we on this vessel, as part of this three-week cruise, though the Niagara does go on Lake Ontario generally during this class we've we have never hit Lake Ontario just because you have to go through the Welland Canal and and for this vessel to go through the Welland Canal basically they have to take down all of the masts and so it's like Mm. a week-long adventure just to get through the Welland Canal on this vessel and so we don't want to spend one week out of three just simply taking the right. boat apart and putting it back together. <laughs> <laughs> so we tend to hit, we, you know, we always, we tend to start in Lake Erie. We hit Lake Huron. We've hit Lake Michigan. Um, in 2012, we hit Lake Michigan in 2013, we hit Lake Superior. So, um, you know, what, what, but, uh, Great Lakes, we, we, um, 
sail upon depends upon basically where the boat needs to go. The students have to be have to pay to be on in the class um, and be on board the boat. Um, you know, it's it's not a normal class by any means, but at the same time, the money that they're giving to the vessel does not does very little to help keep the vessel afloat. <laughs> um, it has like a million dollar budget, and so the majority of their money comes from making these port calls where. Um, you know, it's this whole fanfare and people come out. I mean, you know, when Pirates of the Caribbean comes to town, <laughs> everyone's, you know, out there and, and they do day sales and things like that. So we, we hit these ports of call along the way so that the, the boat can can make money. So so I'm, I'm just a little yeah. confused. So the, the, you pull up to the shore and then you make money. Right. By actually, so they get invited. <laughs> they get invited by the cities and basically every day that they're there, they get paid. I think it's ten thousand dollars for just being there. Okay. And then when people come on board, because it's a historic boat. Because it's and that's a port. why. Okay. Yeah. Okay. War that of makes more sense. I just like, yeah. oh, you know, just pull up and. Yeah. That's that. That's that. Okay. You know, you could do it on your little sailboat. No, not the no. same thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is the spectacle of the vessel and the the history of the vessel that has a lot to do with it. Um, and so they do, you know, they do. Um, uh, so do you have like research stations on this boat, or is this just? Well, okay, so on the boat. I'm no, sorry if I'm getting no, ahead, no, jumping no. ahead here. We're <laughs> conversational. Um, it, it's so when we're on setting sail. I mean, we're part of the crew as well as being science researchers. So sure. um, we sail the boat. We do everything that the crew does. We just sleep less because in between <laughs> doing everything that the crew does, we take samples and we teach the students about the Great Lakes. So we have class like sitting there on deck, we'll have class, we'll talk to the students, we'll take um, samples. Um, and when we hit our ports of call, we, we do analysis on those samples. Um, and, and yeah, it's really you intense. Know, I, just, I just can't help but think to myself, the, be- the most exciting class I think I took in college was bowling. I took bowling, right? And that was exciting. Right? We got off campus. We got to go to the bowling alley. We got to roll the ball. And then I'm thinking, this makes me think of a summer internship too, because like I, you know, I did some, I did internships in college, and it always would involve driving up to some station, some radio station somewhere, and just sitting around all day and hoping to get my get some piece of work on air. This is incredible. Like your students are sailing on some historic vessel. Just like, do, do any of them bring like pirate costumes or anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, what, no, I, I've bought like those temporary tattoos and at the end of okay. the class, like everybody gets a temporary tattoo, like, <laughs> okay. skull and crossbones and stuff. So you know? somebody had an eye patch. An eye patch. Somebody yeah. had an eye patch. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I went into the wrong field of study. That's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're getting just such wealth of real world knowledge while they're out there. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can learn about the Great Lakes and then you can actually go out in the Great Lakes and you swim in them. I mean, so one of the things that you you always hear about the Great Lakes is, you know, Lake Superior is so big, you know, but jump into it. It's freaking cold. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it's big. <laughs> you know, we were there in July and the, the water temperature was like 45 degrees. Mm. It was just, oh. yeah, it was cold. <laughs> you know, it took like real balls <laughs> yeah. to jump into the water. Metaphorically. I mean, speaking. Meta- <laughs> metaphorically, yeah. Um, you know, so, and so that's what you do. I mean, we swim in all five of the Great Lakes, you know, we go jumping off the boat because there, there's no showers on board. So how do you, you bathe by 
by mm-hmm. basically jumping in the water and yeah we all smell by the end but since we all smell nobody smells right, right. educational <laughs> and a primal experience <laughs> <laughs> one reporter asked me when we were one porter colleague what what's the most important thing the students get from this experience and i'm sure he was expecting me to say something terribly profound and instead i said a deep and abiding appreciation for indoor plumbing because <laughs> 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 we have toilets but we have to pump them and we have no showers so right you know um so so you're out on this on this research vessel do you know what you're or this vessel do you know what you're looking for well so the first year i mean it was it's basically you know to teach the students about how we sample and what we look for and we talk about invasive species we talk about you know the sampling techniques we talk about the geology the history the, the the policies you know all of that stuff and that first year you know i was on board to talk about the fact that one of the main ways that pollutants get into the great lakes nowadays is actually from the air so if you go back in time to like you know the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when the Great Lakes were regularly catching on fire, um, which is bizarre to think about. But that's when, you know, Dr. Seuss wrote the Lorax and he talked about in the Lorax, things are almost as bad as Lake Erie. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> right. You know, because the water was was really badly pollutant. And we, we know that they have this industrial legacy. At that point in time, the issue was that basically we were using the Great Lakes thinking that they had all of this water you know, and, and this kind of mantra that the solution to pollution is dilution, that basically we could put whatever we wanted into the water and there was so much water that we were never going to pollute it. And then, you know, the water started catching on fire and we kind of went, huh, maybe that's not true. <laughs> oh. Okay, so we started regulating that, right? And, um, you know, we put in, wa- heaven forbid, we put in wastewater treatment plants. So we weren't just literally, I mean, <laughs> prior to like, you know, 65 we were basically just dumping our sewage into the great lakes wow yeah you know basically taking a poop right there um so it was like the underside of the earth yeah like erie was at the time 20 percent of the the freshwater in the entire world the largest freshwater ecosystem in the entire world and we were using it as like just a sewage dump ground you know Um, industrial dumping ground. And so, you know, we started regulating what those things are called point sources, you know, where you can say this industry, that that pipe, you you can't just dump whatever you want down that pipe. You have to regulate it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to um, sample and and analyze and, and, you know, we only allow this much phosphorus or whatever out. So so that started happening. And nowadays, so because we've regulated all those point sources, now the stuff, you know, gets into the Great Lakes. It's largely from the air. You know, everything that goes up must eventually come down. So that's why I was out on the boat. Um, And those are just like exhaust pollutants? Yeah, from power plants, from cars, you know, um, when when people spray pesticides and herbicides and fertilizers, you know, half of that stuff goes into the air. Oh, when you when you light a whole pile of tires on fire, it looks so I mean. It puts a lot of nasty stuff in the air. Absolutely. But I mean, back in the day, seriously, that was the mentality. It was like, man, you got to see this. Look at this rubber. It boils and it just like like grease and looks awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll have you know, just to defend my, I actually scolded somebody for burning a tire one time. I did see it happen and it was uh, a very, uh, very annoying situation. And I, I was like, I was that guy. I was that guy and I have no problem with it. Like the whole party was like, really, man, you know, just chill out, man. And I was like, no, come on, man. Look at this. What are we hillbillies out here? What's going on? We're just throwing stuff all around. Yeah, it really what do we is think amazing. We're breathing in from sitting exactly, around this fire, exactly. you know, like, more or less oh. what we're causing people downwind of us to breathe in. Yeah, it's really bad. I had a student in one of my classes. I was talking about fire and 
what happens when you put a, a battery in a fire? And I'm, really? <laughs> I'm like, nothing good? <laughs> you know, I just, some of the questions. You have to wonder about that guy who's asking that question. He's always like, why? Like, they know the answer. They're asking yeah. the question. They already know the answer Well, to well the and question. I, th- I think there's a big divide, too, between our generation and some of the older generations. You know, I mean... This stuff to us is all pretty well known, but that's how they did things. Oh yeah, not defending it. I'm not right. defending it, obviously. No. but the there mentality was no concept was of sustainability. I mean, recycling, even stuff like that, is relatively new. You know, so it's. I think it's important when you're talking about these things. You have to remember the mindsets of the, of the people at that time. Oh sure. But that being said, I mean, just walk. It doesn't take too long walking around in the woods to find like somebody's dump like Absolutely. from from back in the day that was just the thing farmers just to drive it to the back of the field and dump it off the cliff and that was fine like you said it's so diluted the forest is so massive and you know diluted it's not a big deal you just just dump it down and it. what am i supposed to like you know you're right you got you got to give a little you have a little bit of empathy for the for the culture at the time and everything like that i'm not going to go after my 90 year old neighbor <laughs> because this was something that he's been doing for you know Almost 100 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, so. and 100 years ago, there were a lot less people on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we had like 5 billion. I mean, granted, 5 billion was still a lot. But, you know, now we're over 7 billion, you know, and you, you look back. I mean, you know, what we did when we, there were 10,000 people on the planet or a million people on the planet, which was really just the turn of the century, then, you know, 20th century, there was a million people, billion people. Probably a billion, billion at the 20th, yeah. Yeah. 20th century. But still, you know, what you did when there's that many people seventh, yeah. versus 7 billion people, it, it takes on a whole different scope, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, that, and that's the thing. Yeah. I think a lot, of our, a lot of our infrastructure and technologies and resources are not built to scale. They're not sustainable. You know, I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, even, you know, even on a micro level, they're, they're toxic and they're polluting. But, I mean, you start to scale these things up and, and the effects are you know, just astronomical. I mean, yeah. one of the things I always think about is, you know, we're going to have to really get our act together in terms of, you know, creating sustainable technologies and, and you know, curbing pollution and, and, you know, cleaning our environment. Well, and, and designing things so that it's, it's truly a cyclical system. I mean, that's how the planet exists. You know, just, I mean, you can go through this example after example, right? Sunrise, sunset, you know, nature, natural cycles, right? From, from fall to winter to spring to summer, and it goes year after year after year. The water cycle that we all learned about in like sixth grade, you know, that's the planet exists on cycles. That's the only way for something to happen, to, to live forever, is for it to exist on a cycle, right? And the planet has been here for four and a half billion years. So, you know, the only way that that can happen is that everything in the planet exists on a cycle. You know, imagine mm. a wheel, and right? I mean, how does a, a bicycle go? How does a car go? Well, because the tires are round. If the tires were not, <laughs> it wouldn't work, right, right? right? So you have to have cycles. And so we need to start designing things with that cyclical process in mind. So from the moment it's being designed, we're thinking about where is it going to end up and how are is how is it going to feed back into the system and we have not had that mentality at all with regard mm. to to designing things and the microbeads that eventually maybe we'll get to <laughs> you know are one of those is is an example of that where it was designed with a specific purpose in mind to scrub the face and there was absolutely no thought about well what happens once it goes down the drain mm-hmm. no thought you know 
just complete absence of thought yeah. to that. So this was something you identified as a part of your research, these microplastics. Can you Right, kind of getting back to that. So yeah, so in 2011, when we were out in the water and I was watching the water go past the boat, I was thinking, I wonder if there's plastic in this water. Because I'd been teaching about plastic pollution in the oceans for 10 years at that point. Um, you know, from the moment that I, I stepped foot on this campus, I'd been teaching in my non-majors class. So it was a way of getting students that are majoring in music or history or whatever mm-hmm. interested in science was to talk about plastic because plastic is something we all know. You know, we all use. Um, and, and so um, I just had that really simple question. And in 2012, we did our first kind of survey and it was just supposed to be for fun. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's just amazing how simple, though, the idea was. Yeah. I mean, it was just like. No, I can't. I mean, to me, it baffles me. And Chad and I were talking about this a little bit before. Like, it baffles me that it's 2012 and no one's thought to just survey the Great Lakes for the one of the most common pollutants in our society. You know what I mean? Um, it just is inc- incredible. And so you just had that simple thought. and Yeah, I've had a number of professors go, God, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad I did. <laughs> so when you're collecting um, these samples, are you yeah. just taking water samples? Are you going to no. the bottom and taking like sediment or? Okay. So in so we started with, with surface trawls because that's what's been done in the world's oceans for obvious reasons. They don't tend to look at the sediment of the ocean, you know, because it's really deep. Um, mm-hmm. So we're doing these surface trawls because plastics either float or they sink, basically. Okay. 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 Um, and they're certainly with wind, they will mix through, but, but the, f- the focus has really been on what's floating and kind of assuming that whatever is floating, there's probably a mirror on the sediment of the, the body of water because about half of the plastics float, about half of them sink. Okay. Um, and so it's, we started with surface trawls. Um, we have collected sediment and I have some colleagues that are, are starting to look in the sediment record in the Great Lakes because it's a lot easier to do, but um, we haven't actually uh, gone into that. So everything I can talk to you about is, is surface trawls. So we just basically pull a net along the surface of the water. We know exactly how long we pulled it for. We know how wide the net is. And so we can figure out the surface area that we sampled in a, for a particular sample. Um, and we, we process that sample because when we bring it in, I mean, one of the questions that I frequently get is, well, can't we just go out there and clean up all the plastic? Well, no, because it's it's not just plastic that's in the Great Lakes. I mean, there's the zooplankton and fish and bugs and, and plants, you know. And so when we bring in the sample, there's all of this life. And, and oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's and that's interesting to me because that's like seems to be the gut reaction of human beings in general. Um, I was I've been talking to Chad. I, I I'm really interested in lawns. Right. And thinking about like, what, what is it about lawns? And I'm, I'm actually yeah. maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have a conversation later about you know, my my ideas about lawns. But uh, I was thinking, you know, what is like the solution? And when you start looking around, like people in Arizona, their Im- first immediate solution, AstroTurf. Let's cover it in plastic. Let's just remove life altogether. Let's just make a lifeless, homogenous. You know, that's the that's a great solution. So it's interesting yeah. to me that, yeah, the people's first reaction to any sort of environmental problem is let's just scrub it clean you know like it's completely clean it up yeah but, if you really, but that's not, you know, I mean, but the, what we have to change is that mentality because the, the reality is any environmental problem, if you want to solve, not fix, not put a Band-Aid on, if you want to really solve an environmental problem, you have to look at where is the start 
and you have to stop it at the source. That's mm. where you have to focus. And so rather than thinking of cleanup, I always tell students, you know, or people, you know, cleanup is secondary. First, we, we stop things at the source and then we can think about, is it possible for us to clean up what's already there? But there's no point in putting a lot of energy into cleaning up what's already there if we still have stuff flooding into the system. Right, two steps know? forward, one step back. Right. And there's just no excuse. So too. There's no excuse to not like having a sustainable start. Yeah. I mean, when you think about like, no, nobody wants to talk about economics with environment. And usually when we're talking about the environment, we end up um, talking about economics in like this negative term where it's like, they're like they, pitted against, yeah, each they're other. like pitted against each other. And instead of seeing it as more of a holistic, like, no, actually the environmental solutions could be the problem, the solution to our economic problems. I mean, think of how much uh, work needs to be done to make more sustainable products, right? I mean, I mean that's yeah. more jobs. It's more energy that needs to be put in. And we have robots that do everything already anyway. So how, how hard is it really to change a process or a material, raw material? How hard is it to come up with more? You know? And again, I think the problem is scale. You know, if there was 100 people in Fredonia, I think, you know, we'd hit a point where we'd all pull together and be like, all right, guys, we got to do something about this shit. We got a mountain of trash in the backyard. <laughs> you know, it's a half mile high. Like, we have to take care of this. Sure. You know, I think at some point you would get that together. But when you've got so seven billion and, you know, you divide yourselves into nations and cultures and ideologies and... I mean, this these is are the problem big with gaps climate to change, bridge. right? Absolutely. Yeah, because Absolutely. everybody's like, oh, it's their problem. Mm-hmm. It's your, you know, oh, well, we don't want to change here in the United States because China is putting out more pollution than we are. Well, yeah, but we've been doing it for a lot longer. Right. So they are right. now, <laughs> but we have been for like 100 years. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, you don't, you can't do that. You can't always just be pointing your fingers everywhere else, right? Because in the end, it's three fingers pointing back at you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and even so. if you do clean, if you do fix it here, some co- multinational corporation is going to find a way to exploit a, a developing nation, you know, another third world country that's coming into its own, you know, with the middle class and whatnot. They'll find a way to pollute that country. And honestly, and, this is this is what I worry about with America in general. I think the problem with the Western way of life is that we've instilled in the world the idea that everyone can have, you know, a two-car garage and a Lexus in the driveway. Right. But the problem, there's not enough glass, metal, and, Resources. you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, in the planet to do that, you know. So how do we sit here in the first world, you know, while more and more nations come online, as more, you know, industrial nation states start to pop up, as more, uh, you know, information-rich nations start to get rolling and start to get industry going, how do we sit here fat, happy, you know, with our toys and everything and say, oh, you can't have that? Right. It's, you know, we can't. So... These, these People are huge try problems. to, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like in California with the drought and the, you know, governor comes out and he's like, everybody has to buckle up. We have, we're having water shortage. This is what's going to happen. And, and what, it took maybe a week before the wealthier people in California said, yeah, not us. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that applies to all the poor people, but we have more money so we can water our lawns and we can yeah. take our long showers and, you know, we can do whatever we want because we're special. Did you see? Did you see those pool commercials? Uh, the the pool marketing out there because apparently you know quote unquote uh, an in ground pool is more it requires less water to maintain than that same patch of grass, which may be technically true, but then you have to account for how much water goes into refining all of the raw materials and the gasoline to pump you know dig out the thing and all of the energy to create the pool. 
Um, not to mention you're just creating like a flat surface of water that's just going to evaporate up into the sky anyway. So fair, fair. And, and, and then also your point of comparison is not really, I mean, make it relative to, well, what normally would exist on that patch of land in California? Probably not lawn. You know, you, you really have to be thinking we've got to be connected to the ecosystem mm-hmm. that we live in, mm-hmm. you know, as and opposed to our cultural expectations. Of right. Life. Like people in Arizona <laughs> trying to have lawns. You don't have lawn. You have, I'm sorry, you live in a desert. Exactly. You have, you know, and deserts are gorgeous in their own right. Mm. You just, it's a different kind of beauty, you know, and you have to appreciate yeah. that, you know, and you, you build around that mentality instead of this kind of, you know, cookie cutter. Everybody should have a green lawn. So, so you go out there. Yeah. Go get them back to the plastic. So you go. <laughs> you go out there. You're trawling. You're trawling yeah. big nets. You know, your surface water. I take it. Yeah. Or do you go down or? No, just on the, just surface, on the surface of the water. We bring it in. We get this sample that has a bunch of life and stuff. And so then we bring it back to the lab, um, and we do some chemistry, um, magic, um, make all. So, the- so how do you know what you're looking for when you analyze that? Is there is there analytical methods yeah. that you have that can identify anything? Well, no. I mean, we're we're looking for plastic. I mean, okay, that was the so, intention. So you had an, I mean, okay. we had a, the purpose was to look for plastic, and so we oxidize the living organic material away. Um, and yes, there are NOAA protocols for doing that that we follow, and um, and then um, and basically the the synthetic organics, which are the plastics, are um, you know they they won't degrade by this chemical process, and so it leaves these pla- the the plastics behind, and then we have to sit there and count them um, and. Um, the majority of what we're finding is incredibly small. It's like a period at the end of a sentence. I mean, just really, really small pieces of plastic. Um, Are we talking visible to the naked eye, not visible? You can Depends. see them. I mean, you don't see them. This is the weird thing. Like, I remember when we brought in the samples, all the sailors and the students, we all, like, crowded around our first sample <laughs> expecting to see plastic. <laughs> And all we saw were like zooplankton, and we we're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we did see a single piece of styrofoam, one of those little styrofoam balls. Like if you ever looked mm. at a styrofoam cooler, it's made of all these little pressed together mm-hmm. little right, styrofoam right. balls. And we saw one of those, and was like, oh, look, that's a piece of plastic. But you can you can't really see all of the plastic because all of the zooplankton. Mm-hmm. Until you get in the lab, chew up all that living organic, and then you can see the plastic. And yes, you can see it to the naked eye. Um, but it is really small. I mean, it looks like a period at the end of a sentence. That's mm. the size, you know, right? You can see that. Yes. Now try and count a thousand of them. Sure. Um, it gets uh, kind of tedious. Um, so, yeah. And so and then in, you know, and then we characterize them as as, um, for example, lines off of like fishing line or um, uh, films like from a food wrapper or a plastic bag, um, foam like styrofoam or from like a cigarette butt, which is, is plastic and most people don't know that. Um, uh, and you know this just from the chemical constituency? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, fragments, so pieces that broke off of something bigger, like, you know, um, I don't know, as the, like, I don't know. When I'm walking down the street frequently, I see bottle caps, right? And and those will get run over by a car. Mm. And so they get smashed into a million little pieces and they wash down um, the storm drains and they end up in, in a body of water. Um, and then the other ones that we categorize as pellets, so round pieces of plastic, because as a, a plastic item fragments, it'll fragment and form these jagged pieces, but you don't form round pieces of plastic. Round pieces of plastic are introduced as round pieces of plastic. 
um, that's how you get them. And and so what occurred to us, what really hit us with the 2012 was the number of these perfectly round spherical balls of plastic that we found um, and kind of made us wonder what they were. Yeah. So it? if we just like take a real rudimentary question here, yeah. like I'm just thinking like, okay, so there's some very soft, round, you know, smooth particles. They're very, um, they're microscopic. I mean, they're in, they're in products that we like, I know there's some in toothpaste and stuff. So like we ingest them all anyway, like what's really the problem at the end of the day with, with the plastics? Well, so the real problem is the fact that they do make their way into the food chain. So they look like fish eggs or, you know, you have filter feeders actually right before coming over here. I was watching somebody sent me a video, the first video of plankton, um, video of them eating. We've known that they've eaten plastic, but this was an actual video where you could see the plankton eating. They had like fluorescent beads they made the beads fluorescent this isn't like a fish tank or yeah i'm sure it was uh, yeah yeah Yeah. and it's so the little plankton you know they have these little legs that they use to to spin the water and it you know they're filter feeders so the water just kind of goes in and you've got these fluorescent beads and as they're the water is going through you see them being ingested by this planktonic organism it's really cool wow um yeah so they get they they get eaten um and they move up the food chain and and the biggest concern here for me as a chemist is I know the legacy that the Great Lakes have. As we said, they were it was an industrial dumping ground for hundreds of years. And a lot of those chemicals are what we call persistent, bioaccumulative, and toxic. So persistent, they stay around for a very long time. So PCBs, for example, polychlorinated biphenols, banned in the 1970s, like 73. Um, but they're still in the water. That's what we mean by persistent, right? You know, 50, 40 years later, they're still there, even though we haven't added any new ones to the water in a very, you know, since then. Um, they're bioaccumulative. So they g- get eaten by a plankton, they'll move up the food chain. So they'll, um, as that plankton is eaten by a fish, they'll move into the fish. And as the fish is eaten by a bigger fish, they'll be mm. eaten by that. Um, and toxic. So they cause, um, frequently, they're not immediately deadly. Um, but they cause all sorts of problems like their carcinogens or their endocrine disruptors. So they affect the reproduction of the organism, things like that. So that's the problem. So, so you have these chemicals in the water, um, but they don't really want to be in the water. They're what we call hydrophobic. And so they will move onto the plastic. And then when the plastic is ingested, they'll move into the organism okay. that eats the plastic. And that's what my biggest concern is, is that basically the plastic is helping to move these chemicals that we mm. know are really, really bad, move them into the food chain and into us. Got it. And where are those yeah. chemicals from, coming from? So, you know, um, some of them were just, um, like I said, industrial legacy pollutants. Some of them are coming from the air. So, you know, power plants, for example, emit polyaromatic hydrocarbons, pHs. These were the, the first um, set of carcinogens known. Um, and they come running, raining down. Um, pesticides, herbicides that end up in runoff, um, end up in the waterways. So lots of different ways. Um, a lot of the chemicals, actually, that we use in our house have not been tested for human health impact. Um, and they're known, they've been found to be, you know, um, uh, endocrine disruptors. Uh, and uh, so um, as we use our cosmetics, you know, we wash our skin and our hair and we, these things go down the drain. Like the plastics, they make their way through the wastewater treatment plant, get deposited into mm. bodies of water. Yeah, you know, sunscreens, right? We go out, put on our sunscreen. Oh, I've got the best, I got that aerosol kind. It's- yeah. 
<laughs> and then you take a nice deep breath while you do it in the bathroom, of course, because I'm a dumbass. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, wait, I got to get my face now. <laughs> You're just eating it directly. You're like, forget putting it in the water. I'm just going to ingest this. Nick cuts out the middleman. Some, yeah, someday it's going to be like smoking. They're going to be like, I can't believe Grandpa didn't give up the sunscreen earlier. <laughs> You shouldn't. Okay, well, I mean, we shouldn't to, give up the to sunscreen. our listeners, should not not wear sunscreen. Just find a, a an eco friendly version, of like a it. hat. Yeah, hats are good. A hat, or yeah. you know, <laughs> there are but. natural sunscreens, and then there are synthetic ones. So you just you look mm. for ones that um, you know. Actually, I mean, some of our listeners may really appreciate this, but 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 THC from. Um, most notably from the cannabis plant, um, is actually a sunscreen. That's why the plant produces that molecule. And so actually, if you raise that oh. plant at higher elevations, mm, they will produce, the plant will produce higher concentrations of THC because it is protecting the plant from harmful so if we, if we rub THC all over. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. like legit. So if you, right, as opposed to like smoking it or something, just rub it. Just rub it on. It's just like when you're on vacation, yeah. nothing you'd want more than just a nice <laughs> THC laced sunscreen. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. I'd be rad. It's I'm, certainly a much better approach. Maybe we right. should, maybe oh, you absolutely. should find a university in Colorado where you could go uh, test the waters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would find it there. Yeah. So there you go. That's interesting. The things you never would have thought existed. So how did you get into all this? What, like, like environmental chemistry? Yeah, yeah, like way back. What, what oh made you want to pursue like pollution and that, um, that whole? Okay, so there was this great show in the '70s called Different Strokes. So it was like your Captain Planet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was not at all like Captain Planet because they they didn't focus on environmental issues, but different strokes. Um, there was an episode where um, the the girl character who I can't remember. I know Dana Plato is the actress who who was, um, but I don't remember the character's name. But she was going to go to um, prom, and her aunt shows up and says, oh, "You should wash your hair with rainwater. It's the purest kind of water." And so she does, and her hair turns green. <laughs> you know, <laughs> climax of the show, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and um, and and this is not at all scientific. But you know, in the show, they say, well, this is because of acid rain. They bring in a scientist who's like, oh, your hair turned green because of acid rain. And wow. Yeah. So I, you know, I watched this episode, and I was just like, the idea that we could pollute, that we humans could pollute rainwater. Rain. Yeah. You know, and I was, I think it was like eight or nine at the time. Wow. And I just remember thinking, that's wrong. We, we, should, we should not be doing that. We, we <laughs> totally need to write the producers of that show. If any of them are around or any of the act, we took, because that's incredible. They, that's they were the on top of shit in the seventies too, to be, I mean, maybe the science wasn't all there, but at least. Well, they, they were. No, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think th that's when the acid rain issue was really oh, okay, hitting okay. kind of the, the, the spotlight of um, mm. things. And um yeah, so they were, but but they incorporated that into that TV show. And so this is, you know, I share this story with a lot of my students because I always tell my non-majors, like, I'm not trying to turn you guys into scientists. By no means. Sure. You know, go out there and make a TV show and incorporate random environmental things because we need that. You know, I hate it when I'm watching a TV show and I see the characters on the show. They, they just do these these things that they don't think about, right? They're drinking bottled water. They're using um, styrofoam coffee cups. 
you know, what if, and you know, it's just like when I was growing up, every movie you watched, all the characters were smoking. Mm. Right. And then they, they came forward and they're like, you know what? We need to stop doing that. And so occasionally you see people in movies nowadays smoking. They typically are the bad guys, not the cool bad guys, the bad, bad guys, the guys you don't want to be. And they smoke. So you don't want to smoke because it's bad. <laughs> it's this subliminal message. Sure. Right. And it, if the opposite message of everyone's smoking, then it looks cool and we should smoke and it's OK. Right. And the same thing with TV shows now. Right. If you see, you know, Jennifer Gardner and, and Jennifer Aniston on on TV advertising smart water and 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 facial scrubs that have microbeads then you think hey this stuff is okay yeah right I mean and that's what we do we emulate each other we emulate other people and when we we have people we idolize we we want to emulate them right and it's and yeah. so if they're drinking bottled water like it's no big deal then people go through their life drinking bottled water like it's no big deal without having mm-hmm. the awareness that actually I mean that's a really it's, I mean, there's so many reasons why that's bad, not just the plastic that is packaged in, but all of the chemicals that get leached from that plastic into that water. And then you're drinking it and you're putting those chemicals into your body. And then they pay a premium for the designer water. Isn't that great? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to, you know, sometimes I just want to be in the boardroom of these places that are like, we got it. It's a square bottle. Like. Yes, genius. We figured it out. We're going to bottle water in oh, a square. Oh, you know bottle. what I saw the other day is bottled water for dogs. Well, are you Can you believe me? this? This is these, oh my there's God. legitimate like companies like popping up. People will do it. There's, there's, there's like there's like ditch water and like uh I forget there's different. There's different. There's like yeah, mud water, puddle water, ditch water like Oh my is god. Is it like fortified at least with some sort of like is it like <laughs> it's a, me, man. I, I saw I saw a bottle of water for dogs. I was like F you, bottle water for dogs. <laughs> oh, my God. There's, so that's ro- that's just people. wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing, though. You know, we, a lot of times we get into these discussions about environmental issues and whatnot. A lot of, we like to focus. We like to sort of uh, just focus in on all the negative and, and, and like, all of the – the stuff that's still wrong, it's still so wrong. And I think from a research standpoint, of course, that's what you do every day. You have to think about what's still wrong and how do we find solutions to fix it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like I'm always the optimist in the room. I, would, I do feel like I'm always the one who's thinking about, you know, innovation and thinking about the future. And, you know, I, I look at the, you know, a lot of the progress that we've made. And I sometimes wonder, and what do you guys think? I, I sometimes think that if we change the conversation to look at this success, Look at this river that was cleaned up. Look at how awful the Great Lakes were. Look at, like, we used to smoke. I mean, we used to do all this nasty shit to our bodies and to our environment and stuff. And look how far we've come. Like, what if we made it competitive and we started, we changed the conversation to make it more of like a, a, a real, like, power em- empowering thing to, to, do, to make change and do good things? I don't know. That's just Absolutely. I think and I, and I, think, I think there's a big problem with that in that there's a significant part of our cultural and political environment that's still trying to even deny that this climate change and you know pollution and this sort of thing is an issue. I mean, there's a major constituency in this country who is not only does not want to address this, they're for like deregulation. Right. Because, you know, it's the regulation is the, the problem with our society. Oh, that's yeah. that's what keeps me from having a job <laughs> is is regulation. No, it's actually the exact opposite. Right. I mean, if you have people, if, if you regulate a, a segment of society, then there have to be people to monitor those regulations. Therefore, you have more jobs. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it, but, it's the opposite. And sure. you're making a, 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 a cleaner environment for your kids but yeah you're right i mean there is that that whole it's a battle right now that's happening in our society basically between it's i don't and, and know. i think it's important to realize you know 
we have to hand this shit off to our, our kids. Yeah, our progeny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like our grandkids. <laughs> instead, it's just this, you know, this political breastfeeding yeah, about yeah, yeah. who's right and who's wrong and, and the money involved. But we are temporary. You know? Sure. This mess that we're making, if so, we don't clean it up, somebody has to at some point along the line or face the repercussions. And as we move along, you know, mm. those repercussions are getting worse and worse and worse. So to Nick's point, I think it's very tricky to, to change that paradigm in a, in, a, in a predominant media and political culture where there's still a, a significant majority who – like I said, who don't even sure. want to acknowledge that this stuff is real. But say I'm that guy. I mean, I can't like, tell you how many times I've heard climate change isn't real because mm-hmm. last winter was warmer than the winter before. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've heard this? Sure. I mean, it snowed oh, this yeah. winter. <laughs> but let, let's say, let's say let, just, to, just to play a little devil's advocate, let's say I am that guy that's like, I, like you know, just climate change is bullshit. And I'm, I'm this guy and, you know, just despite environmental, you know, green whiners and blah, 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 I'm going to drive this big, the biggest truck I can with the big I'm not even going to just drive a big truck. I'm going to put the big smoke stacks out the back. You know, <laughs> instead of like who really gives a shit if that guy, you know, believes in climate change or not. What really matters is his actual actions. Right. So what I'm what I'm wondering is, you know, 20 years ago, no one drove that crap around. It wasn't practical. I mean, you drove a truck if you were a farmer and you needed to move hay around. Like you didn't do that. People are getting this the culture. It's almost like the, the battle is almost pushing them further out to the fringe sometimes. It's like, I really don't care if you believe in climate change or not. What I care about is the way you behave. I would rather, I think it'd be a win if they didn't have that truck with the stacks and everything, if they could just drive a modest car. So that's car where you, you turn it sense. into, yeah. And so, yeah, when I go on. To trick them. You know, <laughs> into, <laughs> I've been behaving. on a, our local, you know, country radio station and, and talked about, you know, climate change. And I'm like, listen, you know, I don't care about if you believe in climate change. Change your, your furnace over to a high efficiency because it's going to save you money. Exactly. exactly. Get some exactly. solar panels. You know? Appeal to people's wallets. Yeah. yeah. If you can't get them through the mind, the heart. Just, hit them through you know, the checkbook, you, you know. You do it, yeah, you do. You hit them with that, you know. You you don't buy, buy a, a fuel inefficient car because that's going to cost you more money, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you you buy a fuel efficient car because that's going to save you money. Forget sure. climate change or the emissions, but you know, think about it that way, right? Yeah. And you're right, you know, when you bring up um, the the successes we've had. I mean, this whole idea that like somehow if we battle climate change, it's gonna it's gonna affect business, and we're all gonna you know all these small businesses are going to go under i don't know somehow we managed you know in the in 1989 because of all of the the publicity surrounding chlorofluorocarbons and the ozone hole we managed to ban them and we survived sure. oh you know <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm sure that the companies that innovated and created the alternatives products you know they they succeeded because of that because of that right there you know and and that's where like i get really optimistic about the futures because you know we are really on the fringe like right now we're on the fringe of car ownership like that whole concept of car ownership i i feel like in 20 years that's just not going to be a thing i just don't think it's going to be a thing why would you own a car if you yeah if there's an autonomous vehicle that's parked down the block and it just sort of services the whole block like why would you own a vehicle when you can hail one for like a thousandth of the cost of car ownership you know yeah. so so i think it's important i do think it's important just to bring that optimism into the conversation and think about that innovation and too. tool share this is another you know cool thing so why does everybody have to have a drill that you use once a year right mm-hmm. as opposed to just going and borrowing 
you know, one. And, you know, forget renting it. Just go borrow it. Have a library. <laughs> have a tool library, you know? Sure, why? Sure. And you can make money renting it out to your neighbors, you know? Or like yeah. if you were the guy that had the tool shed on your property, you know, that's a business opportunity. Right. Why do you need to buy that? What is the, What are those stupid things that, like, trim the side of your sidewalk. What is that? What are those? A no. trimmer. A trimmer, whatever. whatever. <laughs> you know, it's a stupid thing. And they, they must cost like 800 bucks or something like that. And everybody has them. Like, just like twice a year to slice the grass off of your sidewalk. Buying this. Yeah, this could, could somebody could make a lot of money doing that. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, you think about too, in like other cultures, you know, getting back to the, the plastic thing, the fact, you know, we, we talked about recycling a little bit, but like reuse, like again, reusing tools, but reusing uh, stuff in general, like even if you are environmentally conscious, it seems like it's pretty damn hard to like not use plastic. I'm sorry, it's it very tough not to use plastic. Oh, yeah. Everything's packaged in it. Mm-hmm. So how, what, what's the solution? You know, and I think some of our neighbors in Europe have kind of come up with some solutions to that. But there are ways, right? I mean, instead of having everything pre-packaged, you know, go back to where things were in giant bins and you brought your containers and you filled them up, you know, um, and and reuse things as opposed Mm -hmm. to having everything pre-packaged. Um, and that actually be kind of nice because sometimes you find that you only need a little bit of something and it comes packaged really big or you need a lot of something and it only comes packaged really small and you're buying like 15 of them just to get, you know, it's so aggravating. So be able to to, to buy however much you want. Oh, that's a good point. Know. Yeah. I never thought of that because, you know, I, you know, it's just my, my wife and I that cook meals and it's like we can never get the proportions right. No. It was just like the candy. It was like a candy store. You just walk in, you just need a pinch of this, pinch of that. And that's what's cool is, I don't know, there's, there's this company called Blue Apron, but that's essentially what they do is they've started like a healthy meal service where they send you only exactly what you need, like in bare minimal packaging. The proportions are only what you're going to need to eat, you know, make the meal. And it's all like a mail order service. But right. I think it's cool because I think, especially with the advent of things like the internet, you know, companies are starting to make these changes. But like I said, I think... You got. You also have to remember where we're sitting. You know, we're in a college town right now. I mean, we're in New York State. I mean, how does Middle America relate to this stuff? You know, how do yeah, the people in, in Oklahoma and Kansas? I mean, where, where's the progress? What kind of progress is yeah. going on there? And maybe there. Is, I'm sure there's pockets of I've know, done, stuff happening everywhere. But I've done the Blue Apron, and it's it's fun. It's actually a lot of fun. There is a lot of packaging involved in Blue Apron. I oh, would say is? that too. Okay. But I would say the my my. Uh, and by the way, we're not sponsored by Blue Apron, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have sponsored podcasts. I've heard that before. So. <clears throat> but um, you know the the thing with Blue Apron is though, if you consider the waste. Uh, in your typical grocery store, the typical pr- the amount of produce that's thrown away every oh day, my God. you consider that, and then you figure everything that you get is already prepackaged in plastic anyway. Yeah, Blue Apron is still using plastic, and the thing that's probably most wasteful about them is they have um, it comes with two big ice basically basically ice packs um, that just uh, have frozen. Oh, okay. I think they're just frozen water in the inside yeah. of them. So. Um, it's, It'd be it's, nice to yeah. send those back. I had some, uh, some yeah. scripts that came in recently that had to be kept cold. And so they came in in these like, um, you know, it was, a, it was a box, but inside the box was a styrofoam cooler that had ice, these ice packs, right? So that they could ship it. Um, and so I took them and sent them back to the company after I pulled out my medicine. <laughs> I mean, like, the note that said, I hope you can reuse this. You know, I don't know sure. if they will. And, you know, so it may have been a waste of, you know, who knows? Mm. I forget. But I mean, even, thoughts, you know, but... I can't remember what it was. But a couple of years ago, I bought something in the box itself 
was something you could plant. I don't know if you guys have ever oh, seen yeah. this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't do it, but I should have yeah. planted it. What do they call those, uh, plant bombs or something? There's yeah. like flower bombs. But, but that, that's my point is, that, you know, I think we are starting to see some of these things, but I think still the scale we're looking at. I mean, the progress being made is so small. But you have to think, you know, it's just these individual drops that hopefully, right, that spiral out and, and get bigger. And so that's why I like to, to focus on, you know, when I talk to, to, to groups, to people, you know, it's going back to that idea of climate change, right? Climate change is, is like this monumental, it's this huge problem. It's, it's 7 billion people. What can I possibly do? Well, you know what? You can do a lot. Um, you know, for yourself and then what you do and by talking with the people around you, right, you hope that it spirals out. I mean, the biggest thing you can do if you really want to, to address climate change is uh, to reduce the amount of meat you eat. And, and mm. people don't talk about this. It drives me crazy because, I mean, the meat industry is depending upon whose statistics you use, anywhere from 50 to 80 percent of the greenhouse gas emissions are solely connected to meat. Right. So, you know, even if you don't want to go completely vegetarian or completely vegan, though, I totally would support you in doing that. Um, sure. You know, even just reducing the amount of meat. I mean, they, we are such a meat based society. You can't go and get a breakfast anywhere without it having meat mm. involved. It's so frustrating. You well, know? And it's not even just the fact that there's meat. It's the por- proportion. Like you said, it's like you look at Every studies meat of, of centennial populations around like places around the world where there's unusually high levels of centennial populations. It's not like they're all vegetarians and vegans. Like that concept doesn't even really apply to them. They don't, that's not, it's so foreign to them. But it, it's, you know, like a, an island in Japan where meat is just a flavoring. It's, yeah. it's their, their diet is vegetables and a little bit of starch is mainly, well, it's mainly rice and vegetables. Right. And just meat is just the, and there's some other contributing it's factors to the centennial thing too. Right. I mean, they're standing and sitting all day and they're, they have long friends and yeah. people, I mean, they've hung out with the same people. They're like 102 years old. They've hung out with the same friends since they were like young kids, like running around the same village. So that, so, but again, that, that idea, they're not commuting two hours a day to go to work and back, right. you know? Yeah. We have to live, live smaller. That's true. I think that's a big part of it. Live too. smaller to live longer Longer. (laughs) (laughs) and happier i want to return to something you you mentioned earlier and that was storm drains Uh so Mm -hmm. we put shit down storm drains and it ends up in the great lakes how does that work oh yeah so um (laughs) i I would hope that was situated by now Uh, (laughs) apparently it's well you've got it's like it's like a christmas vacation (laughs) that guy is like shitter's full and he's putting it you've seen that scene yeah Yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> that, it just evoked that you you bringing this up. Storm drains every so time someone says it. So tell me, we don't still it. have a, a <laughs> trap door in the ground with a pipe going to Lake Erie. Basically, I mean, this is I mean, this isn't like this area. This is across the country. Storm drains do not go to a wastewater treatment plant. They don't. They're storm drains. Oh, storm drains. They are yeah. intended to just basically move storm water from the street to a nearby river, lake, or stream. I mean, that's that's all they do. So yeah, they're just pipes that move it from this location to that location, but there's nothing in between. So anything that washes down a storm drain, if you're pouring your, your car oil down the storm drain, then yeah, it's going into the Great Lake. Or runoff, I mean, a lot of people, you know, fertilize, going back to your lawn <laughs> kind of comment, right? They fertilize, they add, I mean, Roundup is, is, is the most common uh, chemical pollutant in waterways. Um, because people, I mean, farmers are using it, but people use that stuff all over their lawn. I mean, mm-hmm. you go to any hardware store right now, it's summer, 
it's, it's on sale perpetually. It drives me crazy. It's the, so The funniest bad. thing is seeing all my neighbors walking their dogs down the middle of the street because it's that time, it's that day that I, that all the lawns get shot sprayed. with this stuff, and everybody does it. And you know, like you hear things like fifteen percent or uh, kids that grow up in households uh, that use this shit have a fifteen percent higher likelihood of getting cancer. You know, I mean, it's just it blows your mind, and it's like you don't have to believe in climate change. You know, you could you don't have to believe in, you know, the quote unquote green whiners or whatever. You just like, I don't want my kid to get cancer. I want to, I don't know, like let my dog roll around on a lawn like that's it's there. So like I hate those little yellow signs, you know, don't don't come walking on this and don't walk your dog on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, because people are going to see the yellow sign and go, oh, okay, my kid will play there. I mean, our dogs and cats are, you know, squirrels. They go wherever the heck they want. (laughs) And that's what it should be. I mean, for the most part, you know, but like my dog walks up to somebody's lawn to pee and I'm be like, oh, no, you can't go there. There's the yellow sign. Pee down the storm drain. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Pee down the storm drain. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's bad. I don't think people realize that. Uh, and, and going back to what I said earlier. Pesticides I, and herbicides were designed during the war movement. They were designed during World War II mm-hmm. as chemicals of mass destruction. And then, you know, when the war ended, they said, hey, let's just spray this all over our house and our lawns. It'll be good. Right, right. So, <laughs> so and like I said earlier, I think this is this is part of kind of the infrastructure of how we have this set up. It's not. You can get away with these things for a while. It's like smoking. I, you know, people smoke cigarettes. Why do people smoke cigarettes? Well, because when you smoke that cigarette, it's not like immediately you're getting boils all over your face and your arms swelling Delayed up. effect. Exactly. So you think you're getting away with it. And right. it's the same thing with, you know, the environment. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with, you know, you put your trash out the end of the street on Thursday and you it never disappears. have to see it again. Exactly. Poof. It's gone and it's all taken care of and things fixed, you know. So I think it's... <laughs> I think that's just like a pervasive cultural yeah. problem. You yeah, know, we that. really, as a, and, and I don't know how you fix this because, uh, you know, I mean, evolutionarily speaking, we don't have that ability to, you know, the past and the future, we, we just don't have that kind of long term mm. thinking because we, it was the immediacy of, uh, I've got to survive this moment and not get eaten by that saber toothed tiger. Um, sure. You know, now it was about the, the immediacy. And so we just don't have that. But we, we really need to change that mentality and understand that, you know, um, I was actually the, the guy, the, the creator of Roundup. Um, uh, the, he, you know, was like, oh, this stuff is so safe. I would eat it. And somebody goes, okay, eat it. Yeah. Oh, I seen that video, and he gets yeah. all pissed off, he gets and he leaves. Right. Oh, yep. no, 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 no. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, exactly, yeah, exactly. Right? He won't uh-huh. because he knows that. Okay, it's not going to kill you now, but it will uh-huh. um, affect you know your sperm, your kids. You know, it's 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 going to have a long term impact, and that's we really mm. got to have to have that awareness and be thinking you know, seven I generations. Think, and right? I think you just. I'm sorry. I, I think you just need to basically make it embarrassing. Like, look, at you yeah. smoke right now. I mean, it's disgusting. I mean, it used to be hot, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. oh, look at her. And now it's like, you see, there's nothing worse. You see a beautiful girl at the beach and then she pulls out a cigarette. Sure. There's nothing sure. worse than this. Like, oh, uh, God, no. <laughs> what is this? You know, and, and, uh, and, and I think that's what it takes. You have to make it embarrassing. You have to make that like, oh, you, you put poison on your lawn what the hell's wrong with you you know what i'm saying what right now the cultural meme says it's good and you should be proud that you're upkeeping you know you're keeping your lawn clean and homogenous and beautiful and blah 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 but in as a matter of fact that's all relative so it's it's about yeah how do we change the the 
perception. I mean, I come from a marketing sort of angle on all of this. So I'm always thinking, I mean, for better or worse, I'm always thinking about how to manipulate people. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, that's what marketing is. It's not our listeners, of course. Of course. They're spared the manipulation. Manipulate in a nice way to to create a positive, you know, not to manipulate you to do, you know. But um, that's where I'm inspired every day is though, because, you know, you think about the great advertisers and the great marketing firms of the past. It's the Coca-Colas, right? Mm -hmm. It's the McDonald's. It's, you know, it's it's a Marlboro, right? Going back. But now you're starting to see like the marketing landscape is changing people i think the millennials are really like they want legitimacy they want to know where everything's coming from they want to know the story behind their products they want an emotional connection they want to feel like they're helping move the needle in the right direction and so like that's why i can live with myself being in the marketing world is because i feel like i feel like marketers are waking up to this idea that authenticity and legitimacy and like bettering the world are what is selling products doing good by by doing well by doing good right so and like you said earlier i mean these these things aren't polar opposites you know they're so often treated as you know we can't address climate change or this was going to affect the economy economy. exactly you know yeah and they're not they're actually hand in hand and there's so many studies and um, you know, that talk about this, you know, Robert Wright, um, who was uh, the labor secretary of labor under Clinton. And, and he's, you know, really come out and he's, he's you know, got the, the 10 big ideas of the economy that he's been working on with MoveOn.org. Um, incredible. I mean, it just they're incredible. And he talks about this. You know, he makes those connections. So for people who don't want to believe us, go online. You know, you can look. You know, mm-hmm. He's an economist. That's what he does. And he can show you all those connections and say, you know, they're not polar opposites. They actually work really well together. You know, and the idea that, you know, we can have more people on, on universal health care and universal childcare, and and still actually have a very sustainable society. It's actually really good for society. Yeah, those things oh, yeah. that people have this idea. Oh, you can't have everybody on universal healthcare. That'll <laughs> that'll ruin everything. No, <laughs> it's the opposite. It's one of the biggest constrictors of our youth, our youth economy right now. I mean, you think about like, this is America, right? You're supposed to be able to pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You're supposed to be able to start a business. You're supposed to be able to, you know, like innovate and like, make something for yourself, but you can't do that anymore because, right. you know, you have to, you have to have healthcare. You just have to. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's one of those things that you just, you got to have healthcare. And so what do you do? You go take that job, you settle for that job. You may not care for it, but you got to have that healthcare. You know what I mean? Um, you may have some student loans too. I think that's probably the number two biggest constrictor uh, in our economy is also the student loan crisis thing. But those two things, it's like, look, those are regulatory issues. We could. It's been proved. I mean, other countries are doing it. You can you can have universal education. You can have universal health care. And that levels the playing field. And that gives, you know, people who are, you know, in their mid-20s, late-20s, gives them a little more flexibility, a little more r- wiggle room. It's that, that little push over the edge that says, yeah, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do something good, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think we need tax incentives and, you know, economic programs and, and things like that that reward good activities, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I think we subsidize all these harmful, you know, destructive things. Oh, fossil fuel industry, big time. Absolutely. Well, you know? well what when kind the of, sun's right there. It's and, like, and what kind, of, what kind of, you know, positive reinforcement are we giving the people who are doing it right? right. You know, there's almost no incentive to, other than, you know, a genuine concern and, and care for, you know, the future and the environment. But outside right. of that, you know, there's very little currently, 
you know, financially or otherwise, you know, coming down from the institutional level to motivate people to make these kind of, and, and if you're a business or something like that, there's costs, there's resources involved. What incentive are you really, do you really have sure. to be pushed in that direction? You know? yeah. what, what would push the Great Lakes? What do you think would put, what would, would be a good incentive for, if you, if you were, uh, I'm sure you'd be a wonderful dictator. First of all, I'm just going to say that. But let's just say, let's just say hypothetically, Sherry Mason. You know, you know where it's going dictator. somewhere good when you start with if you were a dictator. <laughs> but if you, if you could, you know, you could draw the line. You could, you know, you could make enact any policy or any incentive. I mean, I know that this is obviously way too complicated of a question to ever ask any single mortal. But yeah. you know, what are some things that you would you would say would would do that in your area of study? Or, or on the flip side of that, what do you think are the biggest blind spots? You know what. Well, so first of all, you you incentivize um, solar panels, as you said. The sun is always there, um, even here in this region. I know, you know, half the year we feel like we're under this perpetual cloud, but even under the the, the cloudy days, solar panels still work. You know, people don't realize that it uses ultraviolet radiation, not visible. And so even on those cloudy days when you can get a sunburn, guess what? Your solar panels are working. And so solar panels are actually the, the way to go even up here in the north where people think that the exact opposite. So, you know, you in and, you know, we have this power plant that they're perpetually like, what should we do with it? What should we do with it? And they're, they're talking about changing it over to natural gas. Well, OK, what about natural gas instead of hydrofract natural gas? What about natural gas that's coming from food waste? Because out here, I mean, we have lots and lots of farmers. We have lots and lots of, of food mm-hmm. service, right? There's there's all sorts of food waste, whether we like to admit it or not. You turn that food waste, you put it into anaerobic digesters, you find methane, and, and then you can have clean energy that way um, to you know for electricity as well. Um, you know, I got to get away from the, the fertilizers and the, the herbicides. I mean, the fertilizers are, are what's leading to the, the second reincarnation of, of algal blooms in the Great Lakes, you know, which which shut down. I don't know if people are always aware oh, yeah. of that, right? Shut down water in the city of Cleveland for a week last summer because of the algal blooms were so bad. And they're creeping this sure. way. They're getting closer and closer and it was to our worse, back door. It was worse down. It was worse down down the lake further. Yeah, uh, they that's had for several saying. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. 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 It moves from from west to east. We're in the, the the deeper part of the the lake so it hits us last but it, it's going to hit us because of all of the fertilizer so you've got to find ways of incentivizing people not using fertilizers not using herbicides because that stuff washes into the watershed um, you know I think those are the big things is really the awareness of synthetic chemicals. I, of course, include plastics in that um, because, uh, you know, those are the two major issues. And you look at United Nations, they say the same thing. The two major environmental issues facing our society. I mean, this isn't just, you know, making people more aware, too. This isn't just like, you know us being kind to the earth this is us sustaining our civilization like do you want to still be here you know i mean we're really putting ourselves to the verge of extinction that's what we're we're working on because first of all climate change is going to change the entire planet to the point where we can't exist right and and then synthetic chemicals well they're reducing male sperm count they're they're causing you know women to to you know increases in ovarian and and breast cancer um so you know, these things basically are going to wipe out humans unless we change them. You know, that we need to make that really clear. This isn't just, oh, let's be kind to, sure. you know, this is do do humans want to continue to exist? Because 99% of the species that have ever existed on this planet have gone extinct. So we are the exception, not the rule. 
right? The fact that we've sustained ourselves for, for, you know, thousands of years, tens of thousands of years is impressive, but you know what? It can easily change. And we're, we're moving towards that really quickly. You know, we're, we're, and, and you see that I was, I was reading an article the other day about the first anthropocentric extinction, Yeah, you know, the sixth extinction that we're entering, the first one that's actually caused by, uh, (laughs) you know, an animal species, essentially. And, and science has been talking about this for a while. I mean, it's one of those things where I get really frustrated as a scientist that our lack of the civilization listening to scientists. You know, I mean, we don't yeah. make this stuff up. We don't sit around going, huh, let, how can we mess with people's heads today? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, this is science. This is, you know, we, we see this stuff. We measure this stuff. We talk about it because, you know, if what's the point in doing science if you don't, right? But to have this, like, lack of, like, people paying attention to what the science is saying, if science is, you know, we... We are, um, species are going through extinctions at a faster rate than have ever been seen before. You know, um, you know, it was just, I don't yeah. know, it just but over so much. Have you, have you heard of this movie, Flock of Dodos? You've heard of this? No, right, I haven't this heard of film, that one. This film called Love Flock of Dodos. What it is, is a film, it's documentary, and it's about basically, um, it's it's comparing creationism versus um, evolution, okay? And here's the thing. It's not about creationism or I evolution. I hope you have tenure, Sherry. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. That's right. That's why we had you on. Yeah. Um, but you know, basically, it's not about creationism versus versus evolution. What it's about is the rhetoric that creationists have versus the rhetoric of evolutionists. Or, uh, yeah, and and clearly the filmmaker right. believes in evolution. Clearly, uh, clearly it's mo- it's sort of uh, tongue in cheek mocking the creationist movement. But right. uh, they're, what they're what they're pointing out is the, that they are better orators. They're better communicators. They're better at just getting down to the common man and just you know talking in common language and and sort of. Uh, it's all positive reinforcement. It's like, you know, come to yeah. church. You know, we're all here for you. It's community. It's, you know, whatever. And then the scientists, it's interesting, all the scientists they have on, they like have a little bell that goes off every time there's a big word or like uh, some kind of jargon. <laughs> like this bell goes off. And like some of these researchers, they're just getting frustrated and they're getting angry and they're talking about climate change and evolution and whatever. And it's like ding, 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 ding. And it's like, it's a wonderful film. I think people should should look at it. And this is kind of my stump speech here is, is like, we need to get out. We need to figure out how to communicate better. Absolutely. We need a way to bring it down. Yeah. And like, look, again, I don't care if you believe in, in, in evolution. Don't care. But just don't dump, you know, don't stop dumping nasty phosphates all over your lawn. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think You're you right. see this in like the Bill Nye, Ken Ham debate, you know? Yeah. Ken Ham has nothing to say. I mean, right. do, come on. Like, let's. At what point do we say, like, this is bullshit? Like, this is bullshit. This is just stupidity. You know what I mean? But all it is, is he's skilled in the art of discussion. You know what I mean? He's, he's good at using words. You know, he's good at. At duping people, essentially. Talking points. Saying the same talking points Mm -hmm. over and over and over again to the point where people just start to accept it, right? Um, And I witnessed this on on our campus with regard to, you know, recent campus politics where I was trying to pass something and and the the opponents to it just kept saying the same thing over and over again to the point where people just started to believe them even though it was completely baseless. I was like, oh, my God, this is like the Republicans and climate change. You know, they just keep coming out saying, well, it's it's still a a scientific debate. It's still a scientific debate. It's still a scientific debate. So people think it's a scientific debate. 
It's not. The scientists are not debating it. (laughs) You know, but you're right. We're not good at coming out. And we, I get into the same thing where I've been on the radio. I've been talking with a reporter and, and I'll say, you know, a word like vector. Well, they, you know, these, these plastics act as a vector to move chemicals from the environment to the people. And they're like, what do you mean by vector? Ah, I didn't even realize I said that, you know, um, we use these words that we're so used to using that we forget that they don't have they only have meaning to it this this small segment of the population and and making sure that we use um, language that's more accessible to to a wider population um, and I hate talking points if somebody told me that I had to uh, with regard to these plastics oh well here's the talking points oh don't tell me what I can say I'm a scientist right. sure. I don't tell me what to say <laughs> sure. but at the same time mentally I can understand why we need to have talking points so that we stay focused and we repeat the same thing over and over and over again in order to compete you know um, because that's what they're really good at doing. You're right. And, and I think it's important to bring more and more, you know, the youth into science communication. I think that's a big area that's lacking. You know, yeah. there's so much great work being done in science. But as far as getting that out to the public, I mean. What well, there has have? to be money for it. I mean, there's, I forget who it was, but he was getting an award. He um, had, you know, way back, he um, helped uh, with, I think it was some kind of cancer drug, but he was getting an award recently and he came out and, and the reason why I heard about it was because he came out in his speech and he said basically if, if the science um, support that is currently available was available back when he was doing this, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. Because, I mean, people have this idea in, in another, you know, place where, where politicians will come out and say, oh, scientists, you know, they, they write these stupid grants and, and they, you know, get money in order to study how this ant has sex with another ant. And they make it all seem so stupid. But I mean, I assure you that there's no scientist out there doing some study that doesn't have some relevance. I mean, it may seem stupid to study, mm-hmm. you know, the sexual habits of this species, but there's a point to it that's bigger than the sexual habits of that species, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the scientists all understand that, but they won't talk about it. Um, and, and the support for science right now is so unbelievably low. Um, getting money is extremely difficult, and it's it's depressing. I mean, as much publicity as my work has had, I was I went and I was speaking to um, uh, Environment Canada, um, and they did this like mass. They had me like blasted over the entire country. So every Environment Canada station throughout the country was was kind of keyed in, and, and we were talking, and and they were like, well, how much you know money have you gotten for this work? And I'm like. All of the work that I've been doing for two and a half years, um, I've gotten a total of $50,000. They were like, are you kidding oh me? God. They can't believe it. Oh I'm like, God. well, that's because I'm not actually and getting you, paid. And you knocked it out of the park. That's the thing is like most science doesn't knock it out of the park. Like most science, the results are inconclusive or, or they're just, you know, they discovered that the hypothesis wasn't true. Right. And that's okay. That's right. science. It helps but move it forward. But you knocked it out of the park. You did something that was relevant and impactful and is led to legislation and yeah. different change and $50,000 of Like nothing. Grants. Yeah, and it's because oh I'm not getting God. paid. Like I have not made any money. I mean, I, I spent all summer, right, before coming here, I was sitting in the lab. I spent all summer here. Don't tell my daughter this, but I don't get paid for that. You know, I tell her I get paid. Oh, it's my job. Right. <laughs> right, that's what I have to yeah. do. But no, you know, my job is to be a professor. I'm paid for nine months out of the year. That means I could have my summer. I could be sitting. I mean, I have friends who spend all summer playing with their kids. 
I spend all summer in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but you are—you you, know—you are Not fighting the good fight, and you and can't. That's that, why the, I do in, it. the non-tangibles yeah. of that have got to be very rewarding. Oh, absolutely, and you know, and, and in the end, I tell my daughter that stuff too—that you know, everything I do, I do for her, and it's true because you were talking about this. You know, I, I cannot imagine looking at my daughter or my grandchildren later and not saying not and, and, and not being able to tell I, I did everything I could right, right you know I was out there I was giving talks I you know I want to do everything I possibly can I mean to the point where I drive my daughter crazy because I'm like no you can't have that it's made out of plastic no I won't buy that for you <laughs> you know yeah, come on mom god you're just ruining my life <laughs> she is a teenager after all I ruin her life on a daily basis that's I tell her that's, so that's my good. job that, so it doesn't matter anyway right it's fine. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> now, earlier you mentioned fracking. Uh, Hydrofracking. New York just banned fracking. Did I get my information correctly? Is yeah, that true? Yeah, the, the New York, well, New York Vertical. governor. Yeah. Or, or, uh, the horizontal, horizontal right. He, and it's great, but it's, it, was a, it was a governor um, moratorium. So the, the issue there is when the governor changes, mm. A new governor could say, ah, I changed my mind. Mm. We, we're going to take that. We're going to veto that. We're going to take it out. Yeah. So, so, because it wasn't a, a, it didn't go through the legislature, right? Oh, so I it see. wasn't. Um, so it's great. Absolutely. Yay. So glad Cuomo did it. I, to be honest, I was very surprised. I kept, I thinking, did not expect that myself. I, I was, yeah. <laughs> I thought because of all of the, you know, we need the money, we need the money. And, you know, people here in New York, they, live and they see their friends literally living across the street in Pennsylvania, right? Redoing their houses because they sold oh, yeah. their, their natural gas rights. Um, you know, and, and they're pissed. <laughs> you know? So I thought he was going to cave to that, but he didn't. So I, I applaud him for that, but it, there it's, the fight is not over there. So at all. what is fracking? You're essentially just. So, uh, uh, so when the term, when people say the term hydrofracking, they're specific, they're referring to a specific, um, method for removing natural gas from underground shale reserves. Um, and I mention this because one of the things that, that uh, advocates for hydrofracking will say, well, oh, we've been doing this for, for ages. No, using water to break open and, and create the flow of, of natural gas, yes, you've, we've been doing that, but in a, in a, a vertical sense. This is um, mm -hmm. high volume, horizontal, um, hydrofracking, you know, hydraulic fracturing. It's a very different kind of process. Um, it uses millions upon millions of gallons of water. We mix into that all, you know, 500 plus different uh, chemicals, you know, things that are anti-corrosives and, and, you know, water inhibitors and algicides and, and, and stabilizers and this and that. So we mix all these chemicals in um, many, and, and we don't know because they were exempt um, during um, one of the energy policies uh, during Bush's administration, 1995, hmm. they were exempt from having to tell us what's in the what what they're putting into the water. Trade is, secret. Yeah. Trade secrets. So Patented. I mean, the the chemicals that we do know about, like we know benzene is in there, which is a carcinogen. We know that you know. So all of the chemicals that we do know about, we we know are not good. Um, so they put these 500 different chemicals, they add some sand and they, they, um, so they drill initially vertically, but then they turn it horizontally. So they're, they're, you know, they were looking at hydrofracking underneath the Great Lakes. Oh my God. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah. What, what could possibly go wrong? It's out there. You know what? I think this is going to pass. I, I seriously, I just, there's too many, you look at, you look at the economy in general. 
there's too many factors that are going against hydrofracking right now. Even if some some conservative governor or whatever gets in there and, and enables it, it might start up in some little patches of New York. That's I personally, I don't believe the economics are there to support hydrofracking anymore. They're You've not. You've got oil prices that are through the floor. You've got, you got people like Elon Musk. Think what you want of the guy. Yeah. But that guy is a boss. <laughs> what yeah. a boss. This guy is creating like renewable like he's the chairman of the board for solar city and he's yeah. just strictly using business to fight this shit yeah. and he's not and, he, and it's great because he, he i do think is a good orator for the environmental movement because he says you know i really don't think about environmental issues that much i just think about kind of you know keeping the civilization alive like you said sherry yeah. you know and so what do we need to do we need to be able to transport ourselves because that's fun it's fun to be able to go places absolutely so it's like let's do that let's do something that's fun first Let's also get some, you know, make solar super, super cheap. Next year, they're going to have that, that gigafactory going and everything. You're going to have the better, the, the better technology isn't necessarily better, but it's going to be cheaper. Um, and I just, yeah, I just think plus that. And honestly, the majority of us, I think, are just embarrassed of the fact that we're even talking about well, this. Well, it's like we're missing the point. I don't want to keep inventing new ways to get fossil, fossil fuel. fuels. Like, yeah. <laughs> you Like the fact that this is even a menu or an item on the menu, <laughs> like – well, tar sands, like, we just keep going to further and further extremes, you know, in order to, to sustain our fossil fuel sure, habit. That's sure. what it is. You know, I mean, if, you know, drilling in the Gulf of, of Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't economically viable until basically the government, the United States government gave them away. They said, OK, if you apply for um, oil rights between, you know, in these this seven year period of time, you can have them for free. That's literally what happened. And that's why we now have like 200 different you know, oil wells in the Gulf of Mexico, one of which was the BP, right, Mm -hmm. that blew up, you know. Um, And prior to that, it wasn't economically viable because it was too deep, it was too inaccessible, you know, it it just didn't make sense. Oil sands, the tar sands up in Alberta, you know, I mean, we just keep going to greater and greater extremes, they're hydrofracking, in order to sustain a habit that we know in the end is going to eventually... It's we're going to use right. it all up. I mean, best case scenario, what do you get? Fifty years, if that, seventy-five more it years of oil. You know, about. it's yeah, like exactly. It's, but, coal but, is like two hundred years, but it's disgustingly nasty. Oh, no, <laughs> and, and coal again, it's just embarrassed. Like how much? Who in their right mind is like? I mean, I know there's the fringe, the vocal minority out right. there that you, that always end up in the comments section of the local newspaper, <laughs> right? They're always there, and they're always like, "I'm turning all the lights on in my house to keep." you know, keep the coal burning, you know, it's like, that's such a vocal minority. Most of us are just like, okay, this is disgusting. This is nasty. You know what I mean? Like those smokestacks, I mean, they're up there, but like, you just know, like there's a, at the Allegheny Ridge, the Allegheny Plateau right down the road takes you up to the elevation of those smokestacks. That stuff is blowing from right. west to east. It's going right into like this beautiful, the beautiful Arkwright area, you know, and it's just, it's just laughable. And so, I don't know. I don't think we're going to be talking about coal anymore, but you're right. It's just like, what is the end game here? Right. I, I'm sorry. We kind of cut you off. But yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you? Fracking. So you're, you're using oh. high pressure. High, so you're basically drilling down. Drilling you're using down. high pressure liquid at chemicals, water. Yeah, water with all these chemicals, sand, blasting the shale in order to create breaks, fissures, fractures, you know, holes, and and releasing the natural gas that's that's within. Um, the natural gas comes back up with some of that water, but only twenty percent of it 
comes back up as what's called flowback. So wait, we put in millions of glandulins into the ground, we blasted this shale, and then what happens to the water? Does it, you know, it's like putting the law, it's like putting your trash out, right? It just disappears. Mm -hmm, Poof. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, it goes somewhere, you know, and, and mm. the argument, you know, so, um, you know, one of the things that kind of the most well-known images associated with this, right, from Gasland is people setting their water on fire. And, you know, the industry will say, well, you can't prove that that was hydrofracking. No, we can talk forever about this whole idea of proof because it's <laughs> very, it, it's an impossible, um, thing to achieve Slippery yeah it's it's impossible <laughs> to achieve but but okay well i couldn't set my water on before on fire before and now i can and and there's you know multiple the only, ways right for and that, the only variable that's changed is that you started hydrofracking even if it's two miles down because as i said it's horizontal so they move you know they they can oh. be drilling two miles away and be actually edging closer to your property and where your water is coming from because that's the other thing aquifer are deep, you know, they... You know, even if there was, even if it was just like a 30% chance that it was the, the fracking that was doing this, wouldn't you still want to stop that it? enough? Even if it was like, even if in your crazy mind you thought this this correlation only, you know, it's only a 1%, uh, you know, chance that this is coming from hydrofer, wouldn't you still turn that crap off? Wouldn't you want to stop it? If it that? was your family, you would. And people are really good at saying, oh, well, it's fine as long as it's them, yeah. right? As long as it's their water that's being set on fire, right? So there was another one of these company say, execs, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. where they were he's like- He's going to court to keep it off his property. In Texas. <laughs> in Texas, yeah. He was all pissed off because they're selling um, the, the rights behind his, you know, something obscene like 150-acre ranch, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, and this is in Texas. And he's, you know, oh, I'm going to take him to court. Well, okay, so it's okay to hydrofoil my backyard but not mm -hmm. yours mm -hmm. right it's always the nimby right not in my backyard yeah. it's the approach. same thing with that guy and the the pesticides oh it's safe to yeah. drink it's safe to drink okay drink it yeah. i ain't drinking that <laughs> you know <laughs> that's ridiculous so the issue then is you get down there and the issue is essentially malfunctions things explode or break and contaminate oh, so many the different issues water. i mean one is is the amount of water i mean water is is becoming the next oil right i mean b believe it or not we're running out of clean water Okay, um, and and so one is that you're intentionally contaminating water that initially is clean in order to get to natural gas. Well, that's just stupid. Um, you've got all sorts of, of traffic that gets increased in order to, to bring the water to the location where you're doing the hydrofracking in order to take that water away as well as the natural gas. So you have an increase in um, semi-truck traffic. That leads to noise pollution, air pollution. Um, uh, people don't want in their backyard, right? Um, and then you have, you know, the possibility that water is going to catch on fire because of contamination, basically the natural gas leaking into your water supply um, and and other problems because those chemicals that are in the water, if, if they leak into your water supply as well, I mean, people have had like, you know, they're taking showers and they're getting lesions, you know, they, they're, they're watering their horses and their cats and their, all their fur is, is falling off. You know, so basically water contamination. Um, and then um, e then you have the flow back, the water that comes back up. Not only does that water have the 500 plus chemicals that we put it in initially, um, it now has everything that came out of the shale, which a lot of times is radioactive materials. And we have no way to clean that water. We have no method to clean that water. None. We know of no, no way to clean that water. 
And so what do you do with it? Well, you got to figure out its half-life. And then, you know, if that's you <laughs> Wait, know, 20 million years, years. <laughs> so we'll, yeah, well, you know, give it a couple 20 fine. million year cycles and we'll be okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that is hydrofracking. And it goes back to what we said earlier. It's the most maddening thing ever because it's just make this shit. Don't think about any of this in advance and mm. then let some future generation deal with it. Like nuclear right. waste just, is the most maddening thing ever. Like here you have this thing that... You can't shut it off. You know what I mean? Like this thing's going to pollute. This is this spot on the earth will be ruined for millennia. You know, yeah. people will not be able to, animals will not be able to safely re-inhabit this for millennia. Sure. And yet we're still like, oh. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, I think I, we got to give people more tangible experiences with these issues. I mean, it's, it's, it can be as simple. I feel like I, I ride my bike everywhere and, you know, my wife and I go out for bike rides all the time and like. You just you just ride around some of these rural streets where you have these wells that are not being maintained as well as they should be. You just know they're not being maintained oh, as well yeah, because leaky. you walk, you're riding down the road, and all of a sudden it's just this amazingly disgusting, like rotten egg smell that just hits you in the face. You're like, what is it? And you turn, and there's a metal, you know, a well there, uh, and you can hear it. It's like, and you hear it, and it's like. From the moment the wells are put into the ground, 10% of them will uh, will leak. From the moment they're put into the ground, within 20 years, 50% of them leak. Really? That, was, that was another thing I was going to say. How do you then maintain? I mean, now you have a, 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 dri- a hole you've bored down into the center of the earth. How do you maintain that? I mean, there's got to be guarding and stuff to... So now what? Every 10, 5, 10 years, are you going to go after to replace this? And for how long are we going to have to do this? No. People need to see images of some of those old oil fills in like Baku, uh, Russia, in I think it's Russia, out that way, Um, you know, where the first oil wells were drilled. Venezuela, um, where some of the first oil wells were drilled, and now all the oil is gone. Do you you think once they they take in all the oil, they go and take out those oil wells? No. Right. The money right. was to put them in. They're not going to clean them out. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. And you're. Wh- what are you going to do with that? You're, people are not going to live there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's disgusting. So, you know, that's that's what we're we're slowly turning the planet into. And, and there are multiple places that are like this. I mean, you drive. I'm from Texas. You drive all over Texas. It's just oil. It looks like that. Yeah. All o- these old oil wells that are no longer functioning and, you know, and they just stay there for legacy mm. to remind us. Ah, right. So you get people out there. People need to see them. I think again, everybody should have to go to an, a, 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 um, a dump. And that's that's why I think a good solution is to keep everything local. When I put my trash out, it doesn't go to where it doesn't go to wherever. It stays in the vicinity of where I am, you know. So it has to. You have to see the impact of what you're doing because I think what we, we need are to is set up an ice an, an art installation where basically we put all of the the trash for one week in the Barker Commons. That would be great. And so everybody oh, can see the amount <laughs> of trash our little village of Fredonia produces in one week. You know, I Absolutely. think that would really educate people because sure. they have this mentality. I put it out to the curb, it goes away, poof. Mm-hmm. And we can't no. feel the impact of what no. we do. You know, if we could f- truly feel the, the real weight of what our actions, we would stop instantly. But we have... Mm-hmm. You know, these things called the reasons and, you know. Yeah. We're cushioned <laughs> from it, right? Just like you can go to the grocery store. I, I was at a dinner and, and the people were talking about meat and they're like, oh, I couldn't. I don't want to see the animal die. Ooh, oh, yeah, I don't, right. I'll eat it, but I don't want to see right, it die. Well, right, I'm exactly. sorry. You know, <laughs> if you don't want to be the one killing the chicken. Yeah. 
my personal opinion, don't you should not be eating the chicken. There's that. You know, I'm sorry, but if you can't see it die, if you can't be connected, and you should, you should know. Mm You know, you should be able to go out and watch it die, but you should definitely be connected to the people who are who are killing it. You mm-hmm. know, um, and we we live fortunately in a small enough community where you, you can, can do that. Yeah. yeah, you can see the um, you, you've seen that uh, wonderful scene in Food Inc. Yeah, where they're they're beheading the chickens right there, and he's interviewing the guy, and I was like, kudos to the filmmaker for that one. For like, what a great interview spot right there. Just like he's taking the heads off of these chickens, like killing them on the spot, and talking like it's nothing, and it's. Yeah, I mean, it's like you, you got to – there was a real utilitarian reason for, you know, eating eating this eating right. this stuff. You know what I mean? It was very – and there still is to a certain extent. Right. Um, Not to the extent that we eat it, Exactly. Right? But, and and there is something to being, you know, being human and, you know, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, we're going to – we're going to eat meat. There's something culture about that. We live in Buffalo. We live in Western New York. Okay? We're going to eat chicken wings. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, but – there should be a premium on chicken wings. I'm sorry, because for every two wings you eat, you've just killed a, ch- a full chicken. I mean, oh, I get right. that there's a lot of chickens in the world that are being. And I don't have any problem with eating stuff, meat. The problem like, is just sustainability. You know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's, that's the real, exactly. the real issue. What is it, the real know? cost of a chicken wing? What is it like? There's only two of them per chicken. So somehow they're we're getting massive amounts of chicken wing. Mm-hmm. So what's the real cost of it? Like, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop eating it. I'm still going to. To partake in that cultural, you know, peace, you know, we, where we live, we're connected to our food. Um, right. We but, just have to disavow ourselves of like factory farming and all these just toxic practices that, yeah. you know, yeah. are just not sustainable. I mean, I have, I, have, I have no problem with the guy who goes out in the middle of the woods and, you oh, know, I tell co- comes hunters, across a deer and yeah. all of a sudden psh, that deer drops. And I think that's I think that's great. You know, oh, that, I tell that hunters deer all the time, never, I'm like. You go out, you hunt your own food. Kudos to you. Totally support yeah. you doing like that. Cut you it eating up right it, there. You know, but then again, you're connected to that. Mm-hmm. You acted upon it as opposed to this removal, this separation that we have um, where we are so separated from the impact of our actions, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, putting the trash out, whether it's the meat that we eat, whether it's, you know, how the plastic that we buy is affecting people. I mean, the majority of plastic starts off it, it's, it comes from oil. All plastic comes mm. from oil, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the the biggest producer of the the starting point of plastic is is down in Corpus Christi, Texas, where the the community that lives around that oil refinery is the largest one in the United States. The community that lives around it, they're they're all sick, right? I mean, they have cancer, they have leukemia, they yeah. can't breathe, right? We're not connected to that when we buy a bottle of water, right? But but that plastic that that bottle that is that bottle of water that came that that's impacting somebody in Corpus Christi, Texas, who can no longer breathe. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Right. But we're removed from that. And it's it's like that with so many things where we you know, the, this this perpetual removal from the, the reality of of what is the products that we use. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it takes that coming home to, to to really change people's minds. You know, climate change. I don't know. Human beings were reactionary species, you know, and it, it sucks. It's really unfortunate. My hope is like, whatever that big event is that just hits us hard, it's not too big. <laughs> it's just like it's not going to be too hardcore. It's going to be hardcore enough to like slap us into shape, like, and like really get our act together. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. Hopefully, we just have this renaissance. And I really, you know, again, I, 
I'm, I don't like the dev, like to be completely down because I do see like the needle moving. I do see our the, the millennial generation. I see us demanding better. Mm-hmm. It's slowly moving, but it is moving in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it's por- important to see that. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, might be we might get slapped, you know. And and you have to keep in mind scale too. I mean, it's it's things are so complex and so nuanced and interrelated. Like it's not going to be black and white. It's going to be a lot better and a lot worse at the same time. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's going to be a. Took us a long time to get here. It's going to take us a long time to get back out. And you're right. It happens. So you see the steps happening and we should, we should honor those and recognize those and, and celebrate those. You know, you do see more and more companies coming up with ways to incentivize going solar. <clears throat> right where instead of having to pay for the solar panels out front you you basically rent them from the company yeah. right and and it doesn't cost you any more than you're already paying for your electric bill you, sa- you now, save money while financing the solar panels right basically. exactly yeah. and so you know you see things like that happening you see electric cars making their second resurgence right and that's um, awesome because it's a lot easier you know and I've had people go well electricity is still mostly generated from from natural gas and and coal, so fossil fuels. Like, yes, but it's a lot easier to regulate 2,000 power plants than, you know, 350 million plus cars, right? right? Which is what's happening when you have these gasoline-fueled cars, is that you have to regulate all the cars as opposed to the power plants. And still, they've done a number of studies where, you know, you were talking about this earlier, right, from, from basically this life cycle analysis, you know, so looking at you know, from the moment that you put a, an oil rig in the ground and all of the extraction, everything that goes into having to powering a car from fossil fuels versus an electric car, an electric car is still much better. That's you know, so simple too. Even yeah, if the electricity is coming from yeah. fossil fuels, but yeah. especially, obviously, awesome if you're getting your electricity from wind or solar, you know, mm-hmm. which is so easy to do out here um, in any place really in the world. But, um. you know, you know, you know what I saw the other day and uh, I've used a, I've used a rotary lawnmower for like the last two years. Okay. Yes. I, I am such a fanboy of these companies that are making these rotary lawnmowers. And here's the thing, they have really bad marketing materials. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I could, you know, a little freelance job, maybe uh, yeah. you know, look me up. But I uh, know I seriously, I'm, I'm, you know, my, my lawnmower is a piece of crap. I mean, it, I've had it for two years and it's, you know, it's like the 1950s rotary lawnmower. It's yeah. exactly what you think of. A friend of mine, he's an engineer up in East Aurora at Moog. So he likes working on top secret shit. Like he doesn't, you can't talk about this stuff. Cause you know, I don't know what he does, honestly, but he's an engineer. He's very smart. He rides a bike. He, he makes enough money probably to drive a Porsche. He mm-hmm. rides a bike to work every day. He's a conservative, by the way. He believes this is a conservative lifestyle. Like let's withhold, like we don't need to spend be frivolous. Let's be conserv- like truly conservative and let's ride a bike to work because it's it's efficient. It makes sense. But he showed me he got he got a new lawnmower. And it is like the Rolls Royce of rotary lawnmowers. This thing is beautiful. It has precision engineering. The blades don't touch, so they never and they're super hardened steel, never wears down. The thing feels like like a hot knife through butter when you're mowing the lawn. It's just like it's easier. And the way he told me, he's like, you know, my, my kid, he has a son who's getting to be like, you know, five, six years old. Like you wouldn't put your six year old on a death machine. Right. And let him drive it around the lawn, but he'll, he'll let, he'll be out on the lawn and let his son mow the lawn because it's safe. It's relatively safe compared right. to, you know, and you're not burning any fuel. The thing will last forever. And if it breaks, 
you can order a spare part. Yeah. You know, so like these things, I mean, I just think the mindset on them, it's just got to change. You know, I mean, we don't need to have like how many parts are there in a John Deere? God, thousands, I would yeah. imagine. And how much oil do you have to dump into it every year? You know what I mean? Just the tires, like how much does it take? So. I don't know where I was going with that, but I, but basically it's just like simplicity. You know what I mean? Like there are innovative ways to not only like live better, but live more sustainable. And I think right. we're going to, I think it's going to be an interesting next uh, 10 or 20 years. Yeah. So anyway, one thing I have to ask you about. Okay. Pacific garbage patch. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so um, as I said, I, I think I said Wow, towards the beginning of this whole conversation, which yeah, seems like so that, long yeah. ago. Um, you know, the, the plastic pollution started as an issue within the world's oceans. Um, the first kind of documented report was actually 1972 in the Atlantic Ocean. But, but as an area of scientific research, it didn't start until basically the turn of the 21st century. Captain Moore was making his way back from Japan to California from a racing expedition, and he went through what is called the North Pacific Gyre. So let's define what a gyre is, because probably a lot of people wondering so a gyre is um a, it's a it's a it comes from the oceanic currents which will spin in a in a clockwise rotation um compounded with air pressure that will literally push on the water so you have a high pressure system that literally pushes on the water um, and, and creates basically like a toilet bowl. So it pushes on the water and then you have these ocean currents that spin around it. And basically everything that's in the currents then will then push Pulling into the middle the surface, yeah. to the to the center, to the eye at the center of the storm, right? And, um, and there are five of these oceanic gyres in the world. So North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, South Atlantic, and Indian Ocean. Okay. And he was making his way back from Japan to California, and he, he went through what is called the North Pacific Gyre. And he noticed all these big plastic things, um, like um, like bleach bottles and, and, you know, just random things. And he was like, huh, we should come out here and study this. And so he, he went out there and he drunk a nut, and he, he published his, his first paper. came out in 1997. And... You know, and over the course of basically, you know, it didn't take too long for for the term the Great Pacific Garbage Patch to come about. But basically, they 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 discovered that there was this just mass amount of plastic. It was largely plastic. Eighty percent of it is plastic. Basically, this large conglomeration of trash in the middle of the the you know North Pacific Ocean, and. Um, you know, my collaborators at the five gyres have now studied all five of the oceanic gyres. The North Pacific is the largest collection, but every all of the five gyres have this conglomeration of debris. Um, so they're all basically trash pits. Um, but the largest one is the North Pacific Ocean, and it's called been called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch because it's so massive. Mm. Um, that being said, like people have have described it um, incorrectly and poorly as this island of floating debris, which makes it sound like you could go like stand on it or like you know then right. you get back to that question of well can't we just go and clean it up? Well, it's not an island of plastic. It's it's much more diffuse. It's spread throughout the water, and so you know when you're out in the middle of the Great Pacific garbage patch, it looks like water. <laughs> you right, know? Right. But there's all this plastic and, and what's what's really powerful is you'll see these big plastic items, but you drag a net through it kind of like you do in the Great Lakes, but there's a lot less life in the salt in uh, the, the salt water. So you drag a net through it and you bring it in and it's all these small pieces of plastic. So uh, those big plastic items that we all use and lose, you know, plastic bags and, and food wrappers and, and, you know, this time of year, everyone's having their cookouts. So you have those plastic utensils and 
and plates and the red solo cups and the water bottles and the Coke bottles mm. and um, that stupid thing that you put on the end of the bread, you know, the bread oh, when you the buy the lo- yeah. that thing. What is with that? You know, I'm always like, just spin it and flip it over, right? Yeah. Are you guys a spinner and flipper? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Pound yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So all of that plastic crap, right, that, that will, you know, and some of it, yeah, makes its way, is properly disposed of, ends up in a landfill. But but it's estimated that anywhere from, from 5 to 10% of the plastic that we manufacture every day. And for the record, we are over we're, duh, duh, 388 million tons of plastic are produced each year at this point in time. It's this exponential increase. Huge amount. So produced um, 2014, 10% of that, 38 million tons. And it's trending up. There's, right. We're producing more. We're producing more and more every year. Ends up in our water. And um, so, you know, mm. the streams that flow into the lakes and the lakes that flow into the oceans. And um, and it's it's just – and it as it – as the plastic is in the water, it doesn't go away. It never stops being plastic. I mean, this is the thing. Plastic is a synthetic material that was created, again, during World War II. Um predominantly, I mean, technically it was created before that, but the mass infrastructure for the mass production of plastic took place during World War II. And because it's this synthetic, this artificial material, things in nature don't know how to take care of it. They don't know how to decompose it. So it, it just, it's still plastic. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So under the action of sunlight, which will dry it out, and then the waves and, and getting beaten up by cars driving mm. over it or whatever, these mechanical actions, it'll break into smaller and smaller pieces, but it's still plastic. Sure. Right. So the lifetime of a piece of plastic is, is estimated to be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years depending upon the type of material, you know. And and so, you know, th- think about then that that plastic water bottle that I keep making reference to because they drive me so crazy. But, you know, you're drinking that water for what? Five minutes, ten minutes, maybe half an hour. But the material mm. that will be here when your grandchildren have grandchildren. Right. Sure. You know, how does that make any sense? Why are we making disposable products out of a material that essentially lasts forever? Oh. I read I read an article one time that made me so angry. It was literally breaking down the amount of energy required to make plastic bottles versus styrofoam cups versus um, uh, uh, you know a ceramic cup. Ah. You've seen an article like this yeah. where basically the point of the article is saying, oh, you should use plastic or or styrofoam yes, because the le- the amount of energy is so much it's so much more efficient and. It, it just it it, it that but, but, like but twisted, so many convoluted buy, and logic no, it, and it is but what it is they're not they're, they're not it's thinking written about so eloquently and it's written yeah. so well and that and people aren't thinking about its input and output you you put this much energy in to create something but then how much energy does it take to destroy the thing right a ceramic cup first of all the the use to to I'm eroding thinking. to erosion ratio you know, yeah, I mean, and it even went as far as to say, well, you'd have to drink this many cups of coffee out of styrofoam cups, and it would take you 60 years to to blah, 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 offset the energy used to create the the ceramic. But the styro, 60 years of styrofoam cups three times a day thrown out into a field, what's that going to look like? And how long is that going to take to disappear? And then where does it go? It doesn't, nothing ever disappears. You're saying 500 to 1,000 years. Well, what do the chemicals look like then? Right. Even when they're gone. I mean, and I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. Who am I? I don't really know. <laughs> I'm sure you could speak better to that. Well, I mean, in this, I mean, the whole reason why it's an estimate is because nobody really knows how long it takes it to make all the way to CO2 and water. Mm. That's basically what you're looking at, right? In order to say that this is the lifetime, you have to know how long it's going to take it to go all the way to CO2. Nobody really has any idea 
right? And so these were these estimates, you know, based upon a, a study where they looked at it for, a, you know, a week or maybe a year. And, okay, so how long, you know, and, and, and extrapolating out. And it, so, you know, who knows? It's, hmm. it's an enormous amount of time. And um, it's it's and it's a childish way of, of dealing with problems. You know what I mean? Like it's kind just of just because a, so that we don't have to remember to to bring a a, a water bottle with us when and, we leave and the it's, house. It's like it's <laughs> like you know just you know kind of uh, sweep it under the table kind of thing. Just pretend it's not there. You know what I mean? It's right. it's, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. So, so Sherry, what are you doing? What are you doing next? I mean, we're talking about all this great plastic work you've done. You know the research you've done. Do you have any plans next? I'm, I'm supposed to say I'm going to Disneyland or something. Okay. Right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, continuing on, um, I mean, we, we, we did the, the work in the water to show that the plastic is there. We've shown that the plastic absorbs these chemicals. Um, then we did the food web assessment where we show that the plastic is making its way into the food chain. Um, the next kind of question is, okay, well, what is the effect that that plastic is having upon those organisms? So we're looking to do some laboratory studies where we basically intentionally feed um, plastic and, and see the, the impact that it has upon the organisms that eat it in a, in a freshwater kind of system because those studies haven't been done. Um, you know, continue giving talks, advocacy work, um, really love to, to go out and talk with the community and try and raise awareness. Um, we just actually had a, my fiance, his PhD mentor, um, was in town this past weekend and and we were walking the man smokes like a freaking chimney <laughs> right and he's throwing his cigarette butts on the ground and and i didn't say anything you know i just you know want him to like me um initially but uh, you know as we got into talking you know then kind of work it into the conversation casually so as opposed to and again it comes back to not being confrontational because as soon as you tell somebody that's bad they go I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to do it even worse, right? And so you try not to be confrontational, but conversational. And uh, so we got into a topic and he was asking about what I do and da, da, da. And, and I brought up the fact that cigarette butts are plastic. And he goes, what? I was like, yeah, the, the cigarette butt. I said, the outside material is paper. I said, but the filter itself is, is plastic. And he goes, I, I thought it was like cotton or something. And I was like, yeah, I think most people do, but it's not. It's mm -hmm. plastic. And he's, that's it. I'm not going to throw these on the ground ever again. You hear that you all know. the time. Most oh, cigarettes are biodegradable. Do you ever hear people say that? Like, I, no. <laughs> not. Yeah, I mean, people just don't know. And so trying to, to, to raise that awareness, you know, one person at a time, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, those little microbeads that are in your face wash, those are plastic. Wait, wait, plastic? There's plastic in my face wash? There's plastic in your my toothpaste? toothpaste? Yeah. yeah, I don't want that. And, um, you know, getting people to, to change their habits, you know, and so that's one of those things. And then people say, well, what can I do? Okay, well, it's really easy. You start with yourself. Always right. Gandhi, Gandhi's motto is my motto. You know, he said, be the change you wish to see in the world. So you always have to start with yourself. It's a lot easier to point at everybody else and say what they're doing wrong. Trust me, I go through it every day. When I see people buying bottled water, I'm like, yeah, you should be doing that. And when I have that thought, I go, ooh, I'm not perfect. I use plastic, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, and I can remember I've bought bottled water. You know, and, oh, you're going on you the know, vacation, you went on the barbecue, you know, it's just, it's, so convenient you know it's it happens it yeah. happens and so you know rather than than point at everybody else you think well what can i be doing better um you know and what can i be doing so you start with the easy things you know remembering to bring your reusable bags to the grocery store remembering to bring um, some kind of container when you leave the house i use my coffee mug my reusable you know stainless steel coffee mug i use it for water during the day too oh my god um you know i have a silverware that i keep in my purse and in my backpack so that when i go to barbecues i have silverware or if 
if I'm, you know, out eating someplace and they only mm-hmm. actually I was at a, a, a I was asked to give a keynote at a at a college and at lunch they served us lunch <laughs> on <laughs> with plastic. I was like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me?" <laughs> So I That's brought out my, right uh, yeah. A little disconnect was... between the, the whatever food service they have yeah. on campus and the, <laughs> and the program. Right. <laughs> so I brought out my, my um, you know, silverware. And, um, you know, so you find those things, yeah. you know, and I tell people that's what you do. Change what you, you buy, you know. Don't buy that face wash. You can buy this face wash instead. You and know? you're not just changing yourself. You know, that's a vi- that has a viral impact. You know, people see, even just like two people, they see you pulling out, even if you don't say anything to them, it doesn't yeah. matter. They're going to see that little thing thing that you've consciously decided to do i mean i it's been cool actually for me to watch the evolution of the reusable bag because i mean it's while we have a long long way Way to to go go. um i feel like that grocery store aldi i feel like they like they're a great example of using economics like to do better like yeah it costs us money to use plastic bags so we're not going to do it right but it it was kind of like passe it was like weird like i don't know i that's kind of seems like weird hippie kind of thing to do to carry your bag you know um and we always did it and i always felt a little out of place but now it's almost like weird to see somebody not you're like they're getting judged for having plastic bags now and so so it's changing. The needle is moving in that right direction. It's funny because yeah. it's like that keeping up with the Joneses thing. Like it used yeah. to be, it used you to be it like, to oh, I, I got to have like the new Lexus and I got to get the new lawnmower. That was like the attitude, you know, 50, 60 years ago. But now I think we're starting to see it more like you're saying, oh, I got to I got to get that reusable shopping bag or, oh, I'm not going to. So it's oh, almost like a total shift, you know. And of course, like I said, we're not totally there and it's certainly oh, sure, sure. small, you know, subsets but it's exciting, of people that are. You know? So I have, yeah, I have this bamboo set that I have clipped on my purse, this um, bamboo set of uh, plus, of silverware, hmm. um, well, bamboo wear, um, but a fork, a knife, a spoon, uh, chopsticks. And my daughter's friends saw me. They were like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's my bamboo wear. <laughs> I was showing it off. They're like, oh, and it's I an want accessory. that for Christmas. Yeah, it becomes awesome. an accessory. Awesome. It's they all purse. wanted that. And then my daughter was like, oh, so my mom's not so freaky weird. Because my, her, you know, that was really important. Because <laughs> she, she does think of me as being freaky weird. But now I was less freaky weird because all of her friends were like, that's cool. You know, and you're right. Keeping up with the Joneses, right? When it becomes cool as opposed to, oh, weird. You're weird, you know. It's important. So, yeah, anytime I see somebody at the grocery store, they're using a bag or I'm at Starbucks and I see somebody reusing a, a coffee mug, I'm always like, you are so sexy. <laughs> that is the sexiest coffee mug I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, just you do things to make people feel good, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Where can people go if they want to find out more about this kind of stuff or look at some of your work? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose I'm supposed to say my like faculty website. So I just go to fredonia.edu and look for me. Um, just Google. Just Google, Google me. Right? Yeah, that's true. You can just Google my name and you'll come up with like 15, art- 50, 15 or 50 something articles. Um, yeah, and uh, fivegyres.org is a great. I mean, they're, they're my collaborators and they, they, they're fantastic with regard to, they do science, but their whole point is to do science with the point of advocacy. So they, they do the science, but they also advocate for social change. Um, and so they always have things going. Um, Story of Stuff is another great website, you know, um, to go and, and watch videos and learn about things and learn about how to take actions and what can you do. So, um, so those are, I think, a couple of great websites to awesome. go to. Yeah. Last but not least, where do you see this all going? 100 years from now, what does our environmental situation look like? Well, hopefully, you know, 
ideally, let's talk about that. You know, ideally sure. we're getting our, our energy from the sun because it's always going to be there. It's the best source. Well, sort of, but well, yeah, <laughs> as long as we'll for be a there, very long time, there. <laughs> if it's not there, we're not here. <laughs> right, so, you know, right. it's kind of those things the kind next, of hand, hand, the, the next debate will be like, you know, oh, we got to get off this planet as soon as possible. <laughs> Um, getting energy from the sun, you know, and, and that, that closed loop, right. Where, where things are only manufactured if, if we have the awareness Mm -hmm. of where it's going and how to close the loop so that, you know, and people are starting to do this, right. We're like, you know, Nike is making, you know, their, their shoes out of recycled material and making it easy to recycle their shoes. You know, so you see that mentality kind of changing. Actually, we're sitting here with the carpet, right. And there's the, I forget the name of the carpet company that sells all of their carpets in squares. So that if you get a burn hole or something in one square, rather than replace the whole carpet, you can replace Pull just square that square. Yeah. And they're, they're working to make that, that carpet completely recyclable. So you ship it back to the company and mm. they tear it apart and they can reuse the all of the different pieces of it. It's wonderful. You know, and there's that mentality happening in corporations where there's more and more of that thought process, like, you know, thinking about the whole closed loop. So that's really where we need to get to as a society. And yeah. do you see that happening? I do. Like I said, these companies that are starting to come forward and there is that more of that mentality, you know, because in the end, again, whether they care about the environment or not, it saves them money, mm. right? They have to extract these natural materials in order to make their products. And if they don't have to extract it, that's that saves yeah. them money. And, you pe- know? and people are warming up to the idea they got to pay, pay a premium. Like I've seen yeah. so I don't know how many Kickstarter campaigns I've seen for like the lifetime warranty hoodie, you know, where you buy this hoodie for one hundred and fifty dollars. But it has a lifetime warranty on it. And that company will, you send it back, they will stitch it for you. They will fix it for you. It will last you your whole life. Right. So, I mean, how many hoodies Just do you, you know? You really need. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Sam. We really appreciate it. So. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you thank guys you for, for having time. me. It was fun. Awesome. Absolutely. We just have to thank real quick uh, WCVF in Fredonia for letting us use their facilities. It's uh, We really appreciate you guys. Thanks. Absolutely. Big shout out to WCVF.